welcome back to the Rab Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. Here's a sample of what's ahead. I've met all my best friends through climbing. And when I went blind, I was 14 years old as a freshman in high school. And I really feared that the adventure of my life was over. And and so climbing enables me to get out in the really beautiful places to go travel. And there's this connection that you just don't get like in your normal life, hanging out, you know, drinking coffee. I've been dreaming to this place, you know, it's like right at the bottom of the country that I was born. Eric, I've been talking with him, like he has been telling me all these incredible places that he has been, but I never seen Patagonia on his list. And it's like, okay, well, what about if we go there? And I think that's a, a little bit more symbolic to go to a place and feel it and see it uh, for the first time together. I think uh, that is a little bit more meaningful. In this special episode, we hear from Eric Weinmeier, the first blind climber to summit Mount Everest, and Felipe Tapia Nordenflut, a Chilean climber, runner and filmmaker, as the duo recount a recent RAP-supported expedition to Torres del Paine in Patagonia. Originally broadcast by the American Alpine Club, this is a wonderful insight into what such an adventure means to these two accomplished climbers. Whilst reaching the summit is the goal, they clearly savour being in wild landscapes and truly cherish the deep bonds forged throughout the team, the trust, the partnership, and the sense of community. Beyond this expedition, both Eric and Felipe devote time and energy to removing barriers for other people to access the mountain environment, whatever their background, physical or mental starting point. As Eric says, it's about a celebration of what life can look like for all people. So sit back and savour this brilliant conversation. I love starting off the podcast by kind of asking people to just geek out a moment about climbing. So what are some things like some accomplishments in climbing that you're personally really proud of that maybe doesn't get the same recognition for all your other, you know, more public accomplishments? For me, Eric, it's carrying my daughter on my back, six months old, uh, to the top of Chief Mountain, right behind Golden, Colorado. It's 12,000 feet and a blind guy hiking with his uh, six-month-old, there was a lot of trust. Yeah. A lot of trust there. Definitely. <laughs> My son also, uh, I carried him up there as well. So, yeah. And, and then eventually she said, uh, my daughter, when she was like seven and her feet were dragging on the ground in the pack, and I, she was like, Dad, this is kind of embarrassing. And so then I, I gave it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really touching moment. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Felipe? Well, for me, I think this is back in 2019, my friend Lane, Dakota and Sam, we went to Colof Canyon in Sion National Park, and uh, we put up uh, eight pitches versus N. That was pretty, pretty big in my climbing career and like stepping up to big walls. I learned a lot about team, working as a team, and then... Just like working our way up pitch by pitch to the top of this summit. And we put a lot of effort. We had really bad weather for a month. So we spent every weekend driving from Golden to Zion National Park on a Friday and then coming back on a Sunday and working every single pitch and leaving some some stuff around so we can just like jog up and, and keep working our way up. And that was pretty meaningful. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that now makes mine look sound stupid. No. I have to give you another one. <laughs> <laughs> that was rad, and I just like was being tongue in cheek. Dang it. Oh. Okay. So, all right. So, mine, mine maybe was something which I really pushed the envelope in my personal climbing life, which was the west, uh, the west face of Mount Huntington in in uh, Alaska. We flew onto the Tokusentna Glacier. The first time I went there, it was we it just snowed like six feet, and all we did was pound out the runway with our skis so the plane could get back in there and drink whiskey in our tent and ski a little bit. And we couldn't we could, we left our gear um, below the Berkshund, and uh, we, after it snowed six feet, we had to go up and get our gear because, and that was just terrifying wading through chest deep snow, trying to get that gear. I was thinking this is not worth it. But anyway, I went back a few years later with uh, two great friends and. Uh, and we tried and tried and we kept getting thwarted by crevasses and all kinds of stuff and snowstorms and weather. And eventually, uh, with like two days left in our 10 day trip, the weather seemed to be good. And we started up and we uh, got to this little bivy site about midnight and spent a very miserable night hanging off a, a little tiny snow seat about the just so you could get your butt on there. <laughs> with your feet hanging over the side freezing cold and um and then the next morning somehow got our boots back on and got a little soup in our bellies and started climbing and finally got into the sun and got up onto the ridge and walked and then climbed the last bit and uh made it to the summit around six at night and repelled all through the night got down to our our uh, tent about eight in the morning and 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 took a little nap and woke up and went, oh, my God, it's clear. Let's get the plane in here. And so the plane flew in and we just squeaked it out because the clouds were coming down over Foraker. And uh, when the clouds come down over Foraker, you are you're not flying. So we squeaked it out. And an hour later, we were eating cheeseburgers in Talkeetna. So that was a big adventure in my life that probably most people don't know about. Yeah, I love the Sufferfest element of that, as well as like the perfect timing. Yeah. Okay, so kind of on along these lines, what draws each of you to climbing? Like, why is it an important part of your life? Who you want to start? Felipe? Yeah, I can start. I mean, first of all, I think it's the, the community. And at the same time, it's the, the personal effort, the dedication towards a goal. And um, the connection that we create with a climb of or or a pre, uh, or a place, yeah, I think like you know, like in normal life, we can get really good at our work. It just take dedication and just like trying to be better and better and create a habit to be better at, at something. But when it comes to climbing or or discovering different places or go out there and 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 be in the elements, it's just not up to us sometimes. And I really love that part of, uh, of climbing that we are uh, connecting with, with the earth and the days, every day is different and and, and the elements uh, comes and goes. And um, I really love that part. Mm, nice. Yeah, I really like the partnership. You know, I've met all my best friends through climbing. And when I went blind, I was 14 years old. I was a freshman in high school. And I really feared that the adventure of my life was over. And and so climbing enables me to get out in the really beautiful places to go travel, to do these big epic adventures with great friends that I love spending time with. And, and there's this connection that you just don't get like in your normal life, hanging out, you know, drinking coffee. I'm getting better, I think, at just making good connections with people over coffee. But something about the element of moving 
through this beautiful environment together and and really like trying to figure things out together and you know kind of building systems and putting your life in each other's hands it's a it's really it's really special and and uh but i love that community i I really love the connection with other human beings because i just find it's it's hard to connect with people person to person and and climbing is just the perfect way to 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 do so. Yeah, I love that. And I also think that's that's a really good segue because we're you guys are on the podcast cuz we're going to be talking and highlighting an upcoming film about you two and your trip to Patagonia. And so I was just really like let's start with where did the idea to climb Torre Norte and Torres del Paine come from and how did this adventure come together? That was Felipe coming to me and saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm Chilean. Of course, I knew that. And I'd never been to Patagonia. We should go do an adventure together. And uh, I'd love to bring you to my country. And then we'll go to a place in Patagonia I've never been before. And I have these two great friends that will that are local experts and and will and, and can help organize everything. And and we'll make a beautiful film and it will be supported a bit by Rab. And uh, I didn't need much more convincing than that. <laughs> I was like, okay, it sounds great. <laughs> sounds amazing. Uh, I'd never been to that area. I was always afraid of Patagonia because I'm not so good sitting at a tent, you know, for a month <laughs> and uh, eating Pop-Tarts and Chef Boyardee. <laughs> uh, you know, I start like after the first Before week, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, oh boy, like I should be doing other things with my life. <laughs> Uh, so I was always a little bit scared of Patagonia, but as as you may discover, we got very, very lucky together. Yeah. So Felipe, where was this idea coming from? <laughs> well, again, um, just how Eric said, it was a place that both of us haven't been. I've been dreaming to this place. You know, it's like right at the bottom of the country that I was born. And from old uh, Eric, I've been talking with him, like he's... He has been telling me all these incredible places that he has been, but I never seen Patagonia on his list. And it's like, okay, well, what about if we go there? And we both of us has never been there. And and I think that's a, a little bit more symbolic to go to a place and 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 and, and feel it and see it uh, for the first time together. I think uh, that is a little bit more meaningful. And it was uh, incredible to when Eric said yes, and then Rab was ready to support us. It was like, wow, this is actually coming through. And and I was getting really excited and checking the forecast every day and calling calling uh-huh. Tola, which is our guide over there, and and Juan and trying to get everything together. So yeah, it started from just an idea. And when Eric was like, heck yeah, let's go. <laughs> that sounds like amazing. I say heck yeah, let's um, go a lot. I like that <laughs> or that phrase, I guess. <laughs> yep. And uh yeah, that started everything. And and from that, it just uh, we start like seeing logistics and uh, yeah. and looking for weather. I mean, everything was depending on the weather. And you know, I mentioned that idea of partnerships. I mean, I, like one of the things that was exciting to me about going to Patagonia was going with Felipe and uh, Karen, his wife, and meeting Tola and Juan, these incredible brothers that have put up a ton of routes down there. For me, that was really special. I met Felipe. In Vitavu, I went out with a group of friends. I don't really climb too much with other blind people, but I actually happened to hook up with this Trevor friend of mine who's blind and Narissa, who uses crutches and is really into 
climbing. And uh, we, so us, us three gimps came out to Vidavu and, and met uh, Felipe and Karen and these really great group of people. And we just really hit it off. I mean, Felipe and Karen, super warm people. And they were so welcoming, you know, it's like, hey, come on into our tribe and cooking food together. And just, I don't know, we just had such a beautiful connection right from the beginning. And so for me, that was really nice to, you know, not just go to Patagonia, but to go with folks I really wanted to spend time with. Yeah, it definitely does sound like the partnerships can really like make a trip like really beautiful or meaningful. Yeah. And we're still of... friends too. Yeah. Isn't that <laughs> crazy. Yeah. You made it through. <laughs> yeah, we made, we it, made through, it through. And that's amazing. Yeah. Don't hate each other yet. <laughs> yeah, I did get pissed at him one time because he lost my trekking pole. But other than that, I love I love Felipe. Hey, I think that's the next quick question, Eric. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Well, I was, so I was going to ask Felipe specifically, like, so you're from the north of Chile, correct? Yeah. What, correct. what, what was like Patagonia to you in your brain? Like growing up, you're like, I'll never go there. Were you always dreaming of going there? Like where kind of like, tell me about what Patagonia meant to you when you were younger. Well, um, the north is totally different. You know, you, you have big volcanoes and big mountains, but uh, you don't have these incredible, incredible uh, rock formations. You have desert and lagoons and, um, and the stars are like just incredible, but it's so far away. You know, it's like sometimes like living in the north, like a lot of people don't even know that the Torre del Pine exists. And I actually started discovering when I moved to uh, Golden, Colorado, and I started like climbing and I went to a few climbing shops and I uh, started looking at the magazines and started like, looking at all these crazy places in Chile. And it's like, wow, how come I never hear about this? And, um, and I started doing more research and uh, started imagining myself climbing down there. And that's why kind of the first time that I started dreaming about climbing. Uh, seeing myself climbing in my dreams and uh, and it mm. was in those places in, in Patagonia and um, yeah it was like a dream come true and nothing better than having a, a beautiful group of friends at the top in the cumbre all together for 40 minutes I mean unheard of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so tell us tell me a little bit like, give us a sneak peek of the film. What were some of the most memorable experiences from the trip besides uh, losing oh. the trekking pole? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like the tense moment, for sure. <laughs> everyone was fighting with each other. Every, everyone was blaming each other. But I think the most memorable, <laughs> I think the the summit, um, for, for me, it was like just be, being at the top and connected with the place and seeing the past of... The immensity of the place just feeling the like like wow i was like where are we you know like this is a crazy spot right now and uh, i'm here with eric and I, hopefully he's feeling the same that i'm feeling right now because this is one of the craziest summit that i've mm. ever been and uh just being safe and uh being being with my friends over there and like knowing that the weather's still nice and we're going to have a nice rappel and um, having the whole crew sink to each other and um, happy and full of energy to go back and make it on time for dinner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you set your sights on this like pretty big 
endeavor and you don't really know if it's possible. So I think I like that process of like, okay, figuring out my team and then, and then going to this really cool place and then flying in and it's a new place, a new culture. You know, I was drinking a lot of mate Mm -hmm. um, along the trail with the folks and, and learning, you know, as much Spanish as I could and just soaking up the local trees and, and all the vegetation and the wildlife and, um, and, and then, you know, I, maybe I'm a broken record, but I keep coming back to the fact that like, I can't just climb with anyone being blind. I really have to trust them. And, and it's a lot of work climbing with me. I mean, Felipe and, and his buddies were guiding me every inch along the trail, you know, pointing out rocks and drop-offs and trees that you're weaving and bobbing through, banging your head and <laughs> rivers that you could fall into and boulder fields that you were crawling through and weather and wind and it's just you know so i for me it's really special to be there with people i can trust and and honestly a team that were really excited to be with me and work with me as a blind person uh, that's really makes me super joyful to know that i have friends out there that you know they could felipe could have run up to the base of of the tower in probably a day instead he spent three days walking with me and and guiding me along the trail. And so that's that's awesome. Yeah. I definitely. did after the fucking two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I think you, yeah, you did. You went back afterwards and ran up there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh other thing that I really want to mention, I think, is I really respect Erin in that sense to go to a foreign country and emerge in the culture over there. We were just Chileans and a few Argentinians. And um, I really respect that. Like going over there blind and, and just trust all this Chilean talking utterly different language. And we as a Chilean, like we talk really weird Spanish. Like we we just like don't talk like normal Spanish. We we have changed so much of the language. And she was having a blast and trusting on us and and our guides, Tola and Juan, Senorette, they were like putting there for a thing that was like really, really special to see how they had never worked with a blind person before, but they were doing 200% of the work. They were cleaning every single rock in front of Eric just to make uh-huh. his uh, his trail much better. But, you know, it's like, it's a it's a boulder field. So like better, better than that can, can get. But, they, they were trying really hard to to make it better. And they were really building, they're paving paving the trail in front of me, pouring the concrete. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So tell me a little bit mm-hmm. about like a lot of people aren't super familiar with the process of climbing in Patagonia. You guys have mentioned weather a number of times. Like, t- give us all the details. Like, what was the summit day look like? I mean, most people start up a tower in in Patagonia, and you know, within you know, a couple hours, the weather changes and the wind comes down and sometimes it's pouring rain and, you know, you're done. You got to get out of there because you're going to freeze to death. So, so yeah, it's a really intimidating place. You know, so the weather gods are in charge there for sure. <laughs> for me, it was like when we were flying into Puerto Natales, which is the town that you fly in from Santiago, and we have this crazy wind. We flew in in such a windstorm. It was crazy, yeah, it was right. a crazy. People were puking, people were crying, like praying. 
and the, the airplane will like go on sideways and and everything. It's like, whoa, this is fun. It's like, dude, people are crying. Come on, man. <laughs> Just having a blast. And like, I know the yeah, landing like, was so hard. Some big piece of gear like went flying out of the back of the plane and flew down the hallway and like almost hit killed somebody and almost missed them by like an inch. Yeah, this lady was like literally with her head on the aisle puking. And you know those boxes with food that is in the back of the airplane, we just have a crazy turbulence and like the the airplane just moved really fast and this box just like flew into the aisle while this lady was puking, just like passed by an inch and almost like decapitated her, <laughs> like it almost cut his hair off. So I was thinking, uh, adventure is like, beginning. <laughs> adventure is beginning. Yeah, like not, like, we haven't even landed yet. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it was like, wow, this wind is like moving the plane a lot. Like, I can't wait to be on the, on the wall and like feel that wind. Yeah, we have a great weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so just like, it's really nice. Perfect, perfect weather day. Well, it turns so, out that they said, right, Felipe, that we probably had the best weather window in seven years. Like, it, it didn't even hardly rain on us the 20 something days we were there. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, lucky. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. And when you say it's uh, great weather, I mean, yes, we had an amazing, perfect weather day, but I was still climbing in two down jackets and freezing and shivering and hungry, and and uh, the wind was hammering, and my hands were cold. So it's not like a place you go to climb and have fun in the sun. Even a perfect day there, I mean, you're you're still cold and slightly miserable, right, Felipe? Or maybe you weren't. Uh, I, I mean, I was wearing gloves and socks, so you weren't wearing you weren't. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't wear socks like, under wow. my climbing shoes because i i can't feel my toe I, I can't i have to be able to feel the rock through my feet and i i really mm. prefer not to wear gloves when i rock climb mm. because i need to feel the rock with my hands up like my hands and my feet are my eyes and so and so yeah my hands and feet were a lot colder than yours uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh I was lucky enough to just have enough time to just like switch put my gloves on while i was playing uh, toilet to go up and set the uh, set the anchor for us to go and climb up. But yeah, I was wearing socks under on my shoes, and after that climb, I couldn't feel my toes for like probably a week and a half. They were numb. They were like just too tight for like twelve hours. That last the climb, mm. that was really tough. But but yeah, I think everything also have some relationship with the moon we have a full moon and that totally changed the the environment and changed the weather we were looking the forecast and it says like kind of stormy for a whole week and then literally the full moon showed up every all the sky clears up and there we go like we have full weather for us and the 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 path opens and we have a great window and just really lucky and grateful for that so great that we actually got to the summit and hung out on the summit, as you said, for like four, 40 minutes, uh, just sitting up there in the wind, talking, and I was listening to the valley. It's the valley of silence, but that doesn't really mean it's silent. It means it's just all you hear is wind and glaciers calving off the, the mountains and big, giant, huge de- piles of debris, like melting out and exploding down the rock faces. And and you can hear wind and and rivers below and 
Ooh, it's really stunning and it's really intimidating too because you're a long way from from a hot cup of coffee. Yeah, seriously. I actually wanted to specifically bring this up because I kind of I think I've heard that the the film is going to explore sound in a really creative way. So can you guys tell me more about that? Yeah, we um, yeah. I will hear that, Rick. You got it. Well, I mean, like when I'm hiking, I'm using echolocation. Uh, I'm tapping things. I'm listening to things. You know, sound is comprised of vibrations that's moving out and bouncing off of objects and coming back at me. So I'm trying to use echolocation along the trail to to hear things, to get ideas of of, of what things you know are in the distance and so forth, to orient myself. Mm. Um, and then also along the way, you know, Felipe is a photographer, right? He's a professional photographer, so. He's got a really visual eye and he's like, man, I'm seeing this beautiful uh, scene right now. And he'd explain things to me. And sometimes he'd stop and say, feel this beautiful flower or this this moss on this rock or this really cool whatever. And and so, you know, that was really nice that he would actually stop and, and really make the scenery pop for me. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was also like everything was really new. So whatever I feel or whatever I touch, I was making sure that I can transfer that to Eric because um, he's our guest over there. Even though it's like we all guest to that place, he's like coming from far away just to, to climb this mountain. So like just making sure that he's going and like learning about the environment that is around him. He totally can feel it, but uh, I, I will make sure that he's like actually touching a little bit extra in those like little little plants that we have over there and like Juan will give you like shower and you will drink like he will like eating all these berries these local berries that um that we have in Patagonia and um yeah no it was great I mean we're trying to explore a little bit more of a sound in order to to more um uh, and people can feel and listen to this film. I feel that's really important for for me and uh, for Eric to to get a little bit outside the box and uh, more ha- have more access for everyone. You know, I, yeah. I know I'm a visual person, but not everyone is a visual person. You know, uh, and uh, that's really important to to have access for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were often uh, saying how ironic it was that. Uh... You know, Felipe's a visual person and he's, you know, capturing beautiful photos. And these are all things I can't see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a interesting match between us, but because he's seeing things visually and he wants to explain things to me and, uh, you know, he's a really good person. He's a really good guide, you know, to be able to explain things like the, all the beautiful things he's seeing and experiencing so that, that I can kind of see it through his eyes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I th- I, I will uh, I will say we are creating the image. We're creating the moment. And uh, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that actually leads me to a really interesting question. Both of you are doing adventure storytelling, right? Often, I mean, Eric, you've written a number of books. Felipe, you're creating these beautiful photos. Like, what compels you to tell these stories? Maybe too big of a question. <laughs> No, I mean it's a good question. My, my my books have been about adventure. They're not really they're not really books about like how hard I've I'm climbing and uh, you know oh I I need to get that you know that 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 one hold and mm-hmm. 
you know, and if I can get that, I can free the pitch. And none of my books have been about that. None of my climbing really has been about that. It's really more about the, you know, finding adventure in your life. I call it a no barriers life. I founded an organization called No Barriers, and we work with people with, we cut, we say challenges. It's a lot of people with physical disabilities, but also emotional challenges. And we use the outdoors a laboratory to help people break through barriers and find purpose in their lives and, you know, and then hopefully elevate their lives through the, those experiences. And so I think my books have been more about, about that, you know, just, you know, how do we find adventure in our lives and what does that mean for each of us? And I think we all need a bit of adventure in our lives, you know, to kind of step out of the, off the sidewalk and, and experience something bigger. Yeah, totally. I think that, um, finding like that deeper meaning about how it can uh, adventure can be a compass to life in general is like, I think really compelling for so many people, which is probably why so many people read your books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, I feel like climbing in your life should be connected and it's hard to do. It's hard to marry those two. But for me, you know, like the thoughts that, you know, things that happened in Patagonia, I want to bring home to elevate my life here as I'm sitting here talking to you folks, right? Like, I don't want to have a separate, you know, this is adventure or this is escapism or something like that. I want to figure out how to, how to make it one life. And, uh, and I think my books have tried to do that too. Felipe, what about you? What compels you to, to, to tell adventurous stories? Yeah. I mean, um, I love the part of visual story and, uh, I love photographing and, um, even the United States is give me such a big privilege to connect with different people and like have all these adventures and go to these beautiful places. But I always remember my roots in Chile and I wanna I wanna show to the people that I live in Chile and that is possible, you know, that and you know, I wanna show the beautiful places that I've been and hopefully they have the opportunity to to go to those places. If they ever want to reach me out or reach out to me, I would love to invite those people and I would love to like get out there with everyone. But at the same time, I feel that a camera of uh, photography uh, is such a big tool to do something good in these days. And I've been trying to focus my, my photography into the minorities. And I've been like taking a lot of photos of the Bible community and and that's what kind of space in my my photography these days and and also touching like you know like i feel like eric and i we 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 are in those groups where is um we're not on the part of the big community where everyone is just like sometimes looking the same you know uh, it's a little bit hard to break into those groups and um i've been really happy that uh you know, having some sponsor that helping helping me out, as like like Rap is helping me out to get out there, go to competitions uh, as a runner, or create different adventure and pitching these different uh, projects, and they are hundred percent supporting me, and that like opens the door for for not just me, but for the people that I can help out in the future, and uh, I feel like that's really really important to me uh, in terms to create a visual story, how I can help the next generation, how I can open the door for other people. And um, 
and just uh, having fun with my friends, you know, like I feel that's really important. Like creating a, group, a really group, good, really good group of people that trust each other and that can be reflected in the adventure, you know, like we have fun over there, but sometimes it's not about the sun, it's just about the community. It's about how we act, how we do the stuff that we are doing, what are our um, responsibility to be in the outdoors and how we can do it better. And I feel that's kind of the mission as a photographer and as a runner and a climber, uh, creating those things for other people. And all of what Felipe said is like really important for me, why I connect so well to you, Felipe. I think, you know, like I know you're not blind and and I'm not Chilean, but like, you know, I, Felipe told me these wild stories of coming to America and him not knowing a stitch of English and having to learn like so much and just how scary that was to mm-hmm. be in this new place and trying to learn the language and trying to learn the culture and trying to learn the culture of climbing here in America and trying to sort of fit into that community as a, as a person who maybe doesn't look like everyone else here. And I related that to that so strongly because I remember when I was a young climber, moved out to Arizona and joined the Arizona Mountaineering Club and just thinking, God, are they going to accept me? Are they going to laugh in my face? You know, is the door going to be slammed in my face here? But no, people helped. They they met me with open arms and took me under their wing and and showed me everything. And that's the way Felipe, when we met, you know, he's like, look, I don't know much about blindness, but like, let's climb together and learn from each other. And we'll take this as far as we can. And so that's like, that's so powerful to me. Yeah, no, definitely so powerful. It's actually making me think of, I think it seems like really clear to me that both of you are bringing these really unique perspectives to this important idea that the outdoors is for everyone. But there's also, you know, the secondary part of that statement that needs to be there. And there is no one right way to enjoy it, right? Like the, right. in order for it, the outdoors to, for, to be for everyone, you everyone's going to experience it differently and have different like takeaways from it and all that stuff. Right. And I think sometimes... The one without the other doesn't do the job or of actually like welcoming <laughs> everyone in. So like, do you guys like agree with that? Do you ha- experience that personally where maybe everyone says you're welcome, but the understanding that there is no one right way to do it isn't fully understood? You know what I'm asking? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, you know, like, yes, for sure. I agree with what you're saying. I mean, like the way I see that is like you have the adaptive climbing community now. Right. And um and so I guess I'm an adaptive climber, <laughs> but I mean, I'm really just a climber and I happen to be blind. And when I was a kid growing up and dreaming about climbing and thinking, God, could I ever do this? Like there were no organizations. There was no specific adaptive organization. It was just finding friends who believed in me and and said, yeah, like, we'll we'll see how far we can take this and see if you can do this. You know, when I was a kid, like my dad was my biggest supporter. This quick story, I used to love to ride my mountain bike down my driveway and and I'd fly over this wooden ramp that I built in my at the bottom of my driveway and I'd land on this cool landing ramp it was back when Evil Knievel was still uh, something people knew and and uh I went I lost sight to the point where I couldn't see the ramp anymore and my dad went out and figured out he's like okay uh, let's see how to figure this out so he he spray painted the ramp a really bright bright orange and I could see it again 
<laughs> uh, with my very limited vision. Mm -hmm. And I got six more months of being able to ride my bike over that ramp. And the, the, my dad wasn't a person who was like, you know, an expert. He just, he built, he painted the ramp and he, and he lit, lit up the runway for me. And so that's the way I feel we should be as climbers. We should light up the runway for people so that they can pass through the the door or path. You know, they can they they can see their way forward. We shouldn't be barriers in the process. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I probably get myself into hot water. But we went to another organization, another company, climbing company, to get some sponsor for this particular climb, and and they said, "Oh, sorry, we've already spent our DEI budget this year, our diversity and inclusion budget." I'm like. So you all you see me as like a diversity and inclusion blind person. You don't see me as a person, mm. you know. So uh, so yeah. I'm so when I find somebody who sees me as a person, like Felipe or Karen, and these great beautiful friends that I've made through climbing, uh, you know, that's to me is just like it makes me emotional to the point where like tears are kind of forming in my eyes right now. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, like the outdoor should be for everyone, but like sometimes people are so encapsulated in their own groups and community that they don't know how to open up. And that's what we're doing these days. We're trying to show people how to open up. We are doing on our, our own organizations. You know, I started this, uh, this organization called Earth Tones and is uh, inviting just people of color to come around with us like so we can see more people like us and be free you know just like no be identified as like oh they're looking at me because i'm ready to be different no we'll kind of the same so i feel like that is something really important and you can see at least in colorado a big movement of that you know we're creating groups and hopefully and inviting everyone, you know, whoever is welcome, uh, whoever wants to join is welcome. And just like to learn about like acceptance and and um, that everyone is equal, you know, equality is uh, number one in these days. And I feel like we should we should look up to that. Mm. Absolutely. So I I wanted to ask this question earlier, and I think this is a good question now, based on what Eric was saying about you guys is like how much you guys connected and just seeing each other as people and all that stuff. What's a fun behind the scenes look at your friendship, either from the Patagonia trip or any other time? <laughs> well, he's a oh. damn good cook. He, him and his <laughs> wife are incredible cooks. His wife has started this thing called the Gritty Gourmet. Oh, no, wait. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Gritty Gourmet. And, uh, yeah. They're amazing cooks. So like they're out on their camp stoves, just cooking away, making great vegetarian meals. And, and man, we have so much fun after the climbs tasting all their foods. And, um, and then, you know, Felipe's just a go-getter. He'll try, he'll throw himself at a climb. You know, I've seen him like try these really hard climbs and, and fall a few times and then make it to the top. And, and it's, so it's really inspiring to watch you climb Felipe. And then one time Felipe told me that I saved his life. I hardly remember it, but I think that created a little bit of a bond too. Wait, what happened? You have to tell us. <laughs> I think Felipe well, should tell us because I don't know. I don't know if it really happened, but I mean, <laughs> it must have. I think I remember well, grabbing yeah. him. Yeah, he totally grabbed me. My um, So we were climbing in, in, in Wyoming, Devil's Tower, and uh, we were wrapping down 
And we were trying to move fast because it was a busy day and we were hungry. It's time to hit the ground and go to have dinner. And our friend Charlie was taking a little bit long time over there. And I don't know, something happened really funky where I clipped, but I didn't clip really well to the anchor with my pass, with my personal anchor. And once I was looking to Charlie down there at the bottom, my locker just like unlocked and just like unclip. And it was like sliding down about in the edge, about to fall over. And like Eric with his spider sensors just grabbed me. It's like, oh, buddy, are you okay? And it was like, oh, man, you just saved my life. You don't even know. And for him, it's like just normal, you know, like, and that's that's one of the best thing. Well, he has amazing difference thing, Eric. But uh, I think what I love the most is like he's always present. You know, like if it, if I was with a person that have sight, uh, they would have been they will have been seeing the beautiful landscape. Probably would have fall into the depth, you know, mm-hmm. because like they wouldn't be paying attention. But like since he's like just pressing and listening to me, he he was able to save my life and grab me. And I feel like that's one of his best qualities when we're climbing. He's present. He's listening to me when I'm climbing. He's listening to my breath, you know, like he knows when I'm calm. He knows when I'm scared, you know, he's like, come on, buddy, you got it. You got it. And that's when he gives me a little bit extra push and he can climb better. Mm -hmm. But also love that he cannot see. So he's not spreading better. You know, that's a big problem (laughs) these days. Everyone is telling you better. It's like, oh, my God, do that, do that, do that. But but he's not doing that. You know, he's like, just being quiet. I'm like, reach up with your left hand. Come on, man. I don't know. He's like, that's that's a good hole. He's like, that's not a good hole, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that. I love that that he's really connected. He's like still playing with a Greek, I mean, with an ATC. (laughs) So he's still feeling that (laughs) that road through the ATC. And it's like, one part of me, I really like that he's doing that with ATC, but the other part is like, come on, man. Like, we, we are in modern times. You can use a Grigri. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> okay, so I have a couple more questions for you guys before we head out. One thing that I was really interested in was that there was how intentional you guys were about creating an all Chilean film crew, guiding crew, and like editing for the film. Tell me a little bit more about that idea. Yeah, I mean, for me, being a photographer and a filmmaker, I I know how I know a little bit about the industry and how they go to other countries and they they bring all these crew from other countries. They just like hire someone local. They pay him like a minimum rate, and everyone that gets the money is the big guys like with the big cameras, and they just all bring all the money back home and they never leave anything in the local areas um, and then they made all these big movies about these crazy places but they don't contribute too much with the community so for me it was a big uh, it was big time to hire a whole local uh, filmmaking crew and also guiding the guiding the guiding crew all from Chile and the editing and the music is going to be all from Chilean folks and so we can contribute a little bit for the for the community down there 
also I left a lot of I left a lot of gear for the other people down there so they can have for the porters over there and uh because they 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 help a lot you know we have porters on the way and they were amazing people they were amazing they they had the tents ready for eric and so he can just get over there lay down in his tent and take a a moment because the approaches were really intense at some times and and we will have some meltdowns like just like really intense in our brains just like focusing for so long uh eight hours straight walking into really hard terrain um so i had one temper tantrum that was it though so yeah just i don't know you you hit me all the way up with your poles. <laughs> yeah, I stab, I stab <laughs> with my poles, not intentionally always, just sometimes intentionally. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, just that was a, a little contribution to um, the climbing and outdoor uh, community in Chile, just living, kind of hiring everyone from down there and leaving some... Uh, and that way it can be like fully represented from a Chilean perspective. I see like that's going to be a little bit better. Yeah, that's awesome. Creativity. That's really yeah. cool. Um, and then Eric, I wanted to ask you, you were telling us a little bit earlier about the no barriers philosophy. That's like you've really made your own. Can you tell us like a little bit more about that? And then like, how did that apply to Ch- like Patagonia? Is that something that's like literally you're living your life by this philosophy all the time? Yeah, I mean, I'm human, I try, but I try, I try to have this no barriers idea of like, okay, what does the map look like that we're all trying to, to build and to navigate our lives forward. And, um, and when you go through these big processes, you know, like climbing a mountain as a team, there's a lot of moving parts. And, and so part of that no barriers map, I think is trying to figure out like, what are the, what are the elements that you experience along the way, you know, like, you know, how do I, how do I um, build my team and w- what's important in my, in the team that I built and, and when crappy things happen, how do you kind of spin them and, and find the, you know, sort of the, the, the light or the purpose behind those bad things that give them context, you know, mm-hmm. that make them more fuel than a dead end. Uh, you know, like how do you create like sort of a, a vision in your life of, you know, not the things you want to climb, but the person you want to be and the, you know, the, the values that you want to keep coming back to every single day. So yeah, no, I think there is a map that I'm trying to pay attention to as I move through these processes with, with friends and and big climbs. So what I'm hearing is you're saying like the, the climbs help you get to the values and the like the process of the climb helps you get to the values in the web of the map that you're looking for. Yeah, for sure. Both play on each other, you know, you know, as you go as a team trying to figure things out and you start with mostly questions and without answers, and then you slowly work your way through the process and, and figure it out. And maybe if you're lucky enough to have this beautiful summit together, that is yes, yeah, stunning in itself to stand on a summit, but also it's another moment of connection of celebration with your team of what you've done to, together. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? So Felipe told us about the summit experience for him. What was your summit experience in Patagonia? <laughs> well, summits are always funny because yeah, there's this moment you're sitting on this top of this crazy tower and, and, um, and it's a moment of just intense beauty and, 
connection and joy. But at the same time, you can't really let your guard down. So, you know, because you got a long ass way to get down the mountain. <laughs> Repelling down these towers were not easy, you know, lots of big traversing and and scrambling and you know, don't fall moments, you know. So yeah, you never really are able to totally celebrate on the summit. So those summits just become like a a retrospective experience that you just keep remembering in your mind. Yeah. I also just to note, I don't think we fully appreciated how dangerous Patagonia is. And that is so impressive. That context just makes extra impressive everything that you guys have accomplished. Just because huh. like, like you were saying about the descent, like, holy crap, everything I've heard about Patagonia is that it's scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, for it's, sure. fun, it's it's funny too because Eric didn't see the anchors that we were wrapping from. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm glad I did. <laughs> oh my god, we had to leave, we had to leave some webbing back because the anchor were like, oh my god, they were just like cord shot ropes from five to eight years ago, and uh, we brought a little. A little hammers so we can just like hammer back some of the old pitons from like the 60s like from the first ascents down there and um just so we can wrap down <laughs> they were wobbling like i remember one specific moment that all is like i was just like looking back and trying to film a condor that was passing by and he's like yo, what are you doing? Just like, don't put pressure on that way. And I was putting pressure just to outside. So the piton just will like <laughs> get out of it, the place. And he's like, no, man, just just put your pressure down. And I was like, oh my God, that's the moment that like, Eric is telling like, don't leave your guard down because like that's when accident happened. You always have to be present and connected with the rock. Otherwise, like that's how accident happened. And it's really hard to... To have to be rescuing those mountains, I think like that's uh, that's uh, another part of like being in Patagonia. At least you know, Chalten in the Argentinian side, they're doing a lot of effort. Yeah, there is more traffic, so they have more uh, accident, and therefore they're doing a lot of a lot about uh, rescue and creating a rescue team. But in Chile, we were like, I don't know, probably. One of the other five parties that summit those towers in the whole season, you know. So it's like there's not many people over there, and um, that was pretty cool too to have all that place. Is it feels totally like we're in the wilderness. It feels out there, isolated. It took us like six days to be in and out, and um, that was a. It, it felt like a great adventure. It felt uh, really, really unforgivable moment in my life mm. me too do you guys want to share any last stories from your patagonia adventure we played some good music down there i brought my guitar and tola mm -hmm. this uh local guy brought my guitar all the way up to high camp so i got to play my guitar right under the uh Torres del Paine towers and that was pretty magical sitting up there on this little eagle's nest of a camp tiny little tent platforms just up in space and uh and rocking out on my on my guitar that was fun yeah he serenaded me <laughs> i serenaded felipe yeah <laughs> yeah he was dancing he was dancing the salsa as i as i played <laughs> uh remember one moment too 
we went, we were invited to the peninsula, this amazing, uh, beautiful spot in one of the peninsulas around Puerto Natales. And they invited us to have a whole experience with the gauchos and have a cordero, which is a lamb on the fire and ride horses. And uh, I remember Eric riding some horses while I was just like doing some interviews. And then I look over there and the horses is going all crazy. and. I was like, I think I was more scared of the horse <laughs> than to actually climb. <laughs> the horse yeah, was cutting yeah, left was and right trying to whip around to get back into the barn. I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> and then the person yeah, I was with was like, oh, are you nervous? Like, like as if like because I climb mountains, I'm not scared of getting thrown off a horse blind. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, I think yeah. that was the cracks for me. Just like, oh my god, is he gonna die right now? On the horse, <laughs> <laughs> on the horse. <laughs> oh man, good times. Good times. Yeah, horses are one. serious business. <laughs> oh my god, I'd much rather climb anything than ride a horse. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so in one of the, my second to last question is: I love talking to people who I like have, especially climbers who are really creative about their goal setting. Like what goes into goal setting for you? Like what's part of your goal philosophy and kind of on a broad scale? Cause we kind of, right. We talked about what went into this trip and some of your other trips also, but like what goes into goal setting for you personally and a lot on a larger scale? My, my goal setting for climbs is not all that scientific. I hear about a place and it just, just intrigues me for some reason. It's more art than science, you know? So like somebody weird, I had friends talking today about how amazing Squamish is. I've never been to Squamish. I've never climbed the Chief. I want to do that so bad. I want to get to the bugaboos. It sounds, I tried to get in there one time and I couldn't, couldn't get in there. I want to get to Lotus Flower Tower. I want to get to Lofoten in North of Norway and climb these beautiful giant towers over these fjords. I just want to, I want to live as hard as I can, as long as I can. And uh, for me, it's never been a problem creating the tick list. The problem is time. Like, and we're running out of time. I got to get it done. Yeah. you want Now, amazing. Felipe being a young man <laughs> of 30 something, now he's got plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean... For goals, goals for me are I just trying to push the limits of uh, what I can do or what I would like to do. And um, right now, I'm really into running, um, moving. For me, there's something really beautiful about the the bouncing with air in every single step and feeling every single different steps that I hit on the ground. And I've been experimenting a lot with long distances and just to see how far it can go. So I've been running a couple races and uh, ultra races and and just like hopefully keep going that until my my knees give up. I don't know. <laughs> I it's pretty hard on my on my knees for sure. But uh but there's nothing beautiful that just like be out there for many hours and just like connected with my soul and my brain and like figure it out about what my body needs before it crash. And um, I applied that the same in the mountains, how it can be efficient and I can look to somebody else and I know like, oh, buddy, you need more water or you need more food. And uh, that helps a lot for the team 
Um, so for goals this year, I signed up for the Mogollon 100, and that's a race in, in Arizona. And um, so I'm training towards that right now and I'm climbing a lot. I'm here in the four corners and uh, I've been working in Ridgeway these days and the Black Canyon is so close. So I've been trying to go to the Black Canyon as much as I can. And it's stunning. That place is really unique. And in August, hopefully we can get to the Lotus Flower Tower with Eric and uh, or the Bugaboos. So I think that's going to be our next adventure. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't even have to ask the last question. My last question was going to be what comes next. So I'm holding you guys to it. Lotus Flower Tower. (laughs) Yeah, Lotus Flower Tower. And also I have this other piece of my life, which is the no barrier stuff. And uh, so like this Saturday, we have a beautiful event where our whole community at No Barriers will be hiking a, a mountain. And it's not like a super crazy hard mountain. It's just, it's Copper Mountain. We hike up the ski slope. But we'll have we'll have 15 folks in wheelchairs. We'll have blind people, deaf people, folks with cerebral palsy, folks who have had strokes, people with all kinds of emotional challenges and and uh, and trauma that they're working through. And we build people into rope teams, like you know the way Felipe and I work together. We build them into rope teams, and the the goal is to help everyone get to the top, so that everyone can experience that connection of inclusion and. Uh, and so I devote myself to a lot of these events as well. I lead those. And uh, and then in August, No Barriers has a beautiful event called our No Barriers Summit, also at Copper Mountain. We'll have maybe five, 600 people all coming to celebrate what this No Barriers life can look like. And we'll have adaptive climbing and all kinds of really adaptive kickboxing and beautiful hikes and speakers. And just it's just an absolute celebration of what this life can look like for people. Yeah, see, I love that. That's why I love asking the question about goal setting for people, because for each individual, it's so different. Like you guys each have like all of these massive climbing goals, but also like these community events that are like really powerful. And I think that's so cool that all of these things can be things that we're working towards and all within this climbing community and like outdoors community. Very cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I've climbed all kinds of hard mountains over the years. And and um, but like two years ago, I we had a lady, Melissa Simpson, who's part of our no barriers community. She's got cerebral palsy. She lives up in Leadville and she spends a lot of her time looking out the window thinking like, well, what can I do? And she took part in some of our programs and her goal was to climb a peak. So we picked a peak uh, outside of Leadville and uh, she was in a grit freedom chair, which is this really cool hand cycle that you crank with your arms and we had a team of 10 people helping to push and pull and make sure she doesn't flip over backwards or sideways and we got to the summit and it was like climbing mount everest it was so powerful Mm. you know just for her to be there and around her team and so you know like felipe uh is trying to pass it on i'm trying to do the same thing so that we can all feel that connection from the mountains uh in our lives well, it was so great to talk to you guys. This is my favorite part of the climbing community is when people are so passionate, like both of you, and like also just have great friendships and so awesome to talk to both of you today. Um, I'm really excited for this film to see everything in action <laughs> and to hear everything in action and hear all the music you guys made and everything like that. <laughs> Thanks, Anna. Thanks for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. And don't forget to like, share and subscribe to the Mountain People podcast. We'll keep you updated on new shows very soon.